This morning, uh, when I was uh, this morning getting ready, uh, there was a worship song that I've been listening to the last couple days. And, you know, there's sometimes when a, a song, it takes a while for it to uh, impact you, but uh, right away, boom, it hit me. Um, and uh, even today, man, just really having my private worship time uh, with the Lord, to be able to come into this place together with you and celebrate the presence of God. There is, there is right now an attack, a war, a battle that's raging for your soul. And hopefully you're aware of that. And having that knowledge, we need to be aware and alert constantly. Not that we're paranoid. I'm, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, just really resting in the presence of God wherever you are. He goes with you wherever you go. And you let him live his life through you. But on the other side, you, you draw a line and you say, man, I, I don't want to compromise. I don't want to do what everybody else is doing to fit in. I want Jesus to be seen in my life. And that takes a conscious decision. It really does. And so um, just to go through motions of coming to church and, you know, saying hi to people and leaving unchanged, you're a casualty. You will be a casualty on the battlefield. And we sang the song about victory that, you know, as a follower of Christ, God wants you to walk in victory, not spiritual defeat. Spiritual defeat brings shame and and you put your head down and and you don't want to look somebody in the eye because you feel compromised. But God has given us everything we need to live a life of godliness and holiness. And to be able to walk in that freedom, we're going to get into that in a few moments, man. There is, it's liberating. It really is. It's liberating. And that's, that's the direction God wants to go. So, so um, uh, as you could see in your, your program, um, there are a, f- a few couples that are getting married, and since they're not here, we're not going to say anything about it. <laughs> I can't, I don't see them. And if you're here, you can wave me down. But Can I tell you something? As, as men and women of God, we love life. We love life in the womb because the hands of God are knitting that baby together. And we love marriage because God is the one that ordained it. A man and a woman coming together and celebrating 
that love that God has deposited in them. We are not ashamed of that. And so, yeah. You ever been flying across the Sahara Desert? Anybody do that lately? You, just, uh, you ever have a window seat flying over to the desert in uh, North Africa? It's an incredible experience. I've never had it. <laughs> Um, you know, for hours you think you're going to fly over that desert, man. It's 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 just sand. It just, that's all it is, is sand. And those dunes can reach a depth of 600 feet. Think about that. And that's a lot of sand. Um, it's hot. It's harsh. Um, it's the harshest desert on the planet. And it's as big as the United States, including Alaska and Hawaii. And along with those sand dunes are gravel-covered plains, salt flats, and barren plateaus. And the eastern boundary of the Sahara is the Red Sea. Um, and the western edge is the Atlantic Ocean. So it's, it's like America between the Atlantic and the Pacific, except it's all Death Valley. <laughs> Sounds exciting. You should do that on your next vacation, man. You know? yeah, let's go for a walk. One November morning, three men dipped their toes um, in the cold waters of the Atlantic in Senegal. Um, okay, okay, yeah, let's go back to that map. Um, let's go to the um, let's go to the the map where they ran these dudes. Oh, okay, here we go. There's Senegal right here. You guys see Guinea? That's where John and Anya Erickson are right now. See? Guinea. And um, you can see the route that these, these uh, three men, their goal was to reach the Red Sea. It was uh, only 4,300 miles away. Charlie Ingle, Ray Zahab, and Kevin Lynn were attempting to do something that never happened before in all history. And that was to run across the Sahara Desert. They were doing it to raise awareness for the millions living in Africa that did not have clean water. But according to Charlie Engel, he and his friends also were doing it because they felt like pioneers, because it was something that no human had ever done before. And their journey was plagued um, by challenges. Some were geographical. And you can uh, pull up that map of the nations again. Six different nations, Senegal, Mauritania, Mali, Niger, Libya, and Egypt. And they endured the blazing temperatures, sandstorms, government corruption along the way. Sometimes they had to run on a two-lane road where cars were driving over 100 miles an hour. The physical challenges were even greater. The three friends averaged almost 40 miles a day. And there are several days in which they did an equivalent of two marathons back to back and longer. Each runner had to work through more than 50 blisters on their feet. They lost weight, faced dehydration, slept no more than five hours each night. The biggest obstacle for runners was the mental. Engel said, 
It was much more of a mental exercise than physical. It was much tougher on the mind than it was on the body. And near the end, the runners were seriously breaking down. Two suffered from severe tendonitis. All three were dealing with intestinal viruses. Their feet had swollen into another shoe size. The youngest runner, Kevin Lynn, began to talk openly about giving up, going back home. But their leader, expedition leader, Charlie Engel, encouraged them to stay the course, to keep trying as hard as possible until the very last moment. Engel said, don't ever pull yourself from the course. Go until you can't go because something might change. You just keep going. And they did, all three. They dipped their toes in the cold waters of the Red Sea after 111 grueling days. It was an unequal feat of endurance. And as Charlie Engel said, you keep going until you finish the course. Friends, this morning, this is a word of encouragement to all of us because we are all literally running in the Sahara Desert in our culture today. We have all kinds of obstacles before us. Things that are screaming at you to stop running and to give up. And we look at the life of Daniel and how he finished strong. He kept going when everything around him was saying, quit, compromise, become like us. And he chose not to. Why? Because he realized that God was working in Babylon for God's glory and for the good of Daniel. And that's the way God is working in your life this morning. He is working in America for the glory of his name and for the good of you as a follower of Christ. And so Daniel knew that. And Daniel was able to trust the Lord in those challenging times. Something that you and I need to do as well. As we look at Daniel chapter 1, We'll read verse 1, and then we're going to jump to verse 17. So during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign in Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and besieged it. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom, and God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. And when the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the reign of King Cyrus. So, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its encouragement that we can apply all the way in 2023. These days, it's relevant, it's applicable. Help us do it well. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you've got your outline near you. Those watching online, you can pull it up on the church webpage or the Facebook page. We're going to zip 
all the way down to uh, God is active, number five. And if you're here for the first time, you could go to our webpage and pull up the archives and catch up. God is active. Woo, baby. That gets me fired up. God is active. He's active. John 5, 17, Jesus said, my father's always working and so am I. (laughs) I love it. I love it. He's working, man, in me. He's working in you. God is walking the corridors of your heart, your soul. Man, you can, you can see it. You can sense it. You can see the life change. So point one, God gave. In verses 2, 9, and 17, we see three things that God, three examples through the chapter one that God gave. God gave. How was God active? God was giving in chapter one. And as God was giving in chapter one, God is giving in your life right here, right now. He's giving you grace. He's giving me grace. In verse 2, the Lord gave him, Nebuchadnezzar, victory over King Jehoiakim. God gave, the Lord gave. Number two, now God, in verse 9, God had given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. Last week we talked about that verse, the tenderness, the compassion. And some, some of you have those special relationships where you, there's that, that bond, uh, camaraderie, etc. That's what God gave to the chief of staff. And third, verse 17, God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. What happened here? God supercharged their intellect. And you're hearing about artificial intelligence in the news daily. It's creeping into every part of our world. God did not use artificial intelligence with these four young men. He supercharged their intelligence. He gave them the intelligence, the wisdom to represent him well in a corrupt culture. God did it. God impacted their lives and gave them the possibility to thrive in this culture. Number two, this is where we're going to camp out, man. Number two, God tests. Verse eight. But Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. We kind of drilled down on this several times on why that was the case. But it was a test. When Daniel was brought into Babylon, there were tests for him to see whether his core was committed to representing the Lord well. It's a test. You and I face spiritual tests daily, whether we will lean in towards the world or we will allow God to be represented well in the choices and decisions we make. The Lord was using this as a private test with Daniel and his colleagues, his, his three friends, 
for the public test that they would be facing later on. Now, when you read through the book of Daniel, you'll see that there were some public tests for these four young men. This was a test in the kitchen, so to speak. And the Lord was testing Daniel and his friends to see if they would stay committed to what they knew was right or being pressured into compromising and going along with the crowd. Everybody's eating the buffet in Babylon. That's buffet, I know. I, I, I know. I know. It's the wrong accent there, but you guys are still surviving. Psalm 105, 19. Until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. When you read the life of Joseph in Genesis, you'll see he was tested along the way before he was promoted. Same thing's going on here with Daniel. Same thing's going on in your life, man. And you might say, you know what, I'm done with test. I'm school's out. Right? No, 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 man. God, God tests you and me to see what we're made of. And he's not setting you up for failure. He's, he's setting you up for the, the declaration that you walk in victory. He's not setting you up for defeat. He's setting you up for victory. That's why the test is there. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. 1 Samuel 17, David, same thing, man. He's talking, he's talking to the dudes. They're saying, you can't go out against Goliath. He says, you kidding me, man? I was out there with the sheepies, and the lions and the bears come, came along, and boom, I killed them. I protected those sheepies that were under my control. I was responsible for. Because God helped me kill the lions and the bears, he's going to help me kill this dude who thinks he's great and mighty. You see, the little things for the public test. There was a public test now. There was an arena of people watching. You see how that works? And so, God never wastes a test. Never waste it. It's always done on purpose and for a purpose. It's good. I don't know about you, but I remember back when I was in school, the younger days, the air raid sirens. Some of you may have grown up kind of dating yourself here. The air raid sirens out there during the Cold War. Uh, being in the classroom, there were always scheduled tests, right? And they were always present, never ready to warn us to take cover if a Cold War heated up. You know, right after World War II and going all the way to the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, there was always this ominous, fear-inducing threat of nuclear war, and it never came. God's planted a warning system in you and me. God has planted a warning system in your life and my life for a purpose. In 1 Peter 5.8, Peter says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see on the front end, there's, there's flares in the air again. There's, there's warning shots to you and to me. 
that we need to stay alert and we need to watch out. Why? Because we have an enemy. In seminaries today, you're being told that there is no devil and there is no hell. Right here, and Jesus endorses the devil, not endorse, but acknowledges that he's there. And he acknowledges that there is a hell. Friend, be careful who you're listening to. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to destroy what God has planted in your life in two different ways. First, Satan tempts us to do things God the Holy Spirit does not want us to do. Okay? That's the first thing. Satan tempts us to do things that the Holy Spirit does not want you and I to do. The second thing is Satan resists our doing the things God's Spirit is encouraging us to do. See? He's telling us to back off. And when Satan is tempting us, the Holy Spirit convicts us to say no. That's his plan. And when Satan resists us doing the right things, the Spirit of God comes in and encourages us to obey him. In fact, his warnings come with power to obey if we're willing to follow his lead. See, we have to be willing to follow him. We have to be willing to obey him. And we can't live this Christian life ourselves. You know, so many people try, I got to work harder, I got to try harder. You can't do it. Paul says in Galatians 5.16, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. See, Paul is saying you can't do this on your own. You've got to let God's Spirit guide you, direct you. And then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. Man, this is a breakthrough for followers of Christ. Because God's promised to live his life through you. God has promised to do that. And it's not up to you alone to do that. You know, I'm going to do this on my... No, you, you don't have to prove that. Why? Because in John 15, 5, Jesus said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus is saying, you try to do this on your own, you're going to come up with a big zero. You... Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, you're the branches. How hard do the branches have to work to produce fruit? Huh? Do they, try, do they have to try harder? No. Do you have to do a little more sweating out there in the heat of the day? No. The job description for, for, for the branches is just to remain. I'm going to remain. What a beautiful day to remain. On the vine. Is that hard work? Remain. Man, I got to remain harder. No, remaining is resting. That's all it is. It's resting on the vine. You let the nutrients from the vine go to your branches and you're going to automatically produce fruit. See? Isn't that cool? You don't have to do anything but remain. Paul goes on. He says, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. And that really what he's saying is you have to depend on God's Spirit. 
I'm depending. That's, that's what we were saying this morning. I want more of you, God, right? Philippians uh, 2.13, we hit this last year. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. See? God is working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power. See, it's not your power. It's his desire and his power to do what pleases God. And so Paul addresses the problem in verse 17 of Galatians 5. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. You and I experience that conflict, don't we? There, there's like a tug of war going on. And, and, and there's that, man, you know, I want to do what's right. And that old nature wants to fight back. You know, you're going to feed me today. And it's like those three dudes running across the Sahara Desert. There's a battle to give up, to quit. But verse 18 says, but when you're directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation to the law of Moses. You see, there's a test every day. Will I give in to my sinful nature or will I lean into my new nature where God lives? We have a choice to make, a decision, just like Daniel in Babylon. It's a test. An attentive reading of God's word, man, staying in the Bible, staying in the scripture, will set you up for frequent Holy Spirit warnings, flares in the ears that, man, there's this temptation. You've got to get ready for it. He sets off those alarms. <sighs> the siren goes off. Stay alert, right? Stay alert. And guess what? As you grow spiritually, you may discover those prompts that God's spirit gives they're always going to be in harmony with his word. They will never contradict his word. And that's, that's refreshing and encouraging for, for all of us to stay consistent in reading the scriptures. We stay in them so that when the alarm goes off, we can know the truth and not be deceived. Romans 6.10, when he, Jesus, died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Check this out. By remaining on the vine, in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. See, you have a choice. I have a choice. It's a test. Do not give in to sinful desires. Verse 13, do not let any part of your body, it's a test, become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Paul is saying by giving yourselves completely to God, there's no room for compromise to creep in. You see that? That's where people give in. A little bit of the world, a little bit of God. That's why there's inconsistency going on in that growth with God, but when you give yourself completely, that's the secret, giving yourself completely to God, you make no room for the enemy to get a foot in the door. 
For you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. The freedom of God's grace. Does that give me permission to sin whenever I want? Verse 15 answers that. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we can go on sinning? Here's the answer. Of course not. Right? Of course not. You and I have the full capability of ignoring God's Spirit in our lives. Those warnings, those sirens that go off, we have the freedom to ignore and resist the Spirit of God. We can cooperate and want what our old nature wants, desiring against God's Spirit. We can do that. That's incredible. And we're told we can grieve the Holy Spirit living in us, Ephesians 4.30, and do not bring sorrow or grief to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Paul is talking about this is a relationship. Remember, he has identified you as his own, and that's your identity. You're a son, a daughter of God, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in too. Boom. So now that he's in you, Paul says, don't grieve him. Don't bring sorrow to him. J. Oswald Sanders put it this way. It's on the screen. Grieve, bring sorrow, is a love word. One can anger an enemy, but not grieve him. The words are mutually exclusive. Only one who loves can be grieved. And the deeper the love, the greater the grief and sorrow. You see that? It's because it's a love relationship that we can grieve God's Spirit. God's Spirit lives in us and He loves you passionately. And when you do things that are not pleasing to the Lord, it brings Him great sorrow. It makes Him sad. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. It means extinguish, quench God's presence. It means to defeat His intended result and ignore His voice. If, you have, if you're a follower of Christ, you have this built-in early warning system that God has put in you because He loves you. To keep you from compromise, to keep you from neglect, in that relationship with God. And it's energized by obeying that voice, saying yes to him. Dane Ortland said, In truth, there is nothing more thrilling, more solid, more exhilarating, more humanity-restoring, more radiant joyous than holiness. I'm not perfect, friends. But as my time with God has grown over the years, and my pursuit in the character of God, I can say yo to what Dane Ortland just said. There is nothing like walking in holiness. 
There is nothing like walking in holiness. Carl Sandburg put it this way. He was not a theologian, by the way, or a follower of Christ. There's an eagle in me that wants to soar, and there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. <laughs> Most of the time, the hippo wins, he said. Okay. Daniel was being tested in the kitchen because he would be facing tests in the public realm soon. God doesn't promote his people without testing. All tests are intended to eliminate impurity in our commitment to the Lord. In 1 Peter 1.7, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. You see that? Why are you being tested? Why am I being tested? To prove that our faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. These tests are proving the, the authenticity of your faith. Okay? You will grow, you will flourish but we can grieve God's spirit by ignoring the built-in sirens that the Holy Spirit brings to do what we want to do. Friends, this morning we need to choose to say yes to God's spirit and not grieve God's spirit any longer. And Father, we thank you this morning for this encouragement that we've seen in Daniel's life on how he was tested. And Lord, he came out as gold. Lord, that's what you want to do as we are tested, as your sons and daughters, that our faith will come out as pure gold. Forgive us for grieving your spirit for ignoring your spirit, for doing what we want to do, the way we want to do it. Ignoring the sirens that are being ignited in our hearts and our minds, Lord. We thank you that it's your Holy Spirit that gives us the power to walk in obedience to you. And so right here, right now, Lord, in this quiet moment, Your spirit is speaking to us on that next step. In order to not grieve your spirit, there are decisions and choices we have to make. And we thank you, Lord, that you are working in us giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases God Lord
And so when those tests come, today, tomorrow, give us the courage, Lord, to say yes to you. In Jesus' name, amen.